Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome back into another edition of GamecockCentral.com radio. I am Wes Mitchell alongside Chris Clark. Uh, Jeff Tyner operating behind the scenes there, recording our podcast here, producing, if you will. Uh, it's been obviously a very tough season on uh, the members of Gamecock Nation. And uh, Chris, I believe, uh, safe to say it got even worse uh, this Saturday with South Carolina's one-point loss to the Citadel, I, I think that, you know, we kind of knew what this South Carolina team was. Uh, it's been pretty obvious. They're not a, a great football team, but um, I, I don't think anyone in their right mind probably looked at this schedule this past year and, and wrote down an L beside the Citadel on the schedule. So, um, obviously, a, a tough, tough uh, loss for South Carolina fans to swallow, I think, Chris. Yeah, I mean, what you said is pretty much it. it. It went from bad to worse. You know, Wes, I don't know if you uh, had a chance to see the telecast um, of this game on, on the lovely SEC Network alternate channel. Alternate, not, yes. Non-HD. Um, I actually watched the game, at, watched this one at home, um, considering we just had a, a second child. It's sort of hard to get out, of course, but we watched it, and, and my wife was actually watching it with me, and she said, is this how it's going to look all game? <laughs> it's like very hard to see but um you know what what you did see on the field was was not pretty for South Carolina and uh, you know any way you slice it I, I know that the Citadel is is a good FCS team I know that their offensive scheme is difficult for anyone to stop um, there's certainly there's a history of FCS teams with a scheme like that um you know going up and down the field on some really good teams at times um 
but what what we saw on Saturday is is not on any level acceptable. I mean, there's there's I know that FCS players they got some players, some guys that can play football. Their coaches are, are very good coaches, but it's just to me not acceptable for an SC team to lose to an FCS team under any circumstances, and certainly not in the way they did. I mean, getting pushed around on the lines of scrimmage, just looking unprepared. Uh, I just didn't understand it, and it just goes to show how the season's gone. Yeah, Chris, you know, you you just kind of hit on it, but I, the thing to me that completely caught me off guard um, was particularly South Carolina's offensive line against the Citadel's front um, in the running game. You know, I, I think I think Carolina blocked them pretty good in the passing game for, for the most part. It, it felt like they they had time to throw, and it felt like there was guys open all day long um, on South Carolina's standpoint. Um, I actually uh, watched this game from the sideline for the first time ever. It kind of gave you a little different viewpoint um, down there. Uh, my first game kind of as a pseudo-photographer. Um, but if, uh, you know, you, you, I, I tried to watch the lines of scrimmage a lot um, from that viewpoint. And, you know, you look, I think uh, looking at the Citadel's starting lineup and depth chart, they have some guys on the line of scrimmage uh, They've got a, a 250-pound defensive tackle, and uh, the, their biggest starting defensive line was 275 pounds. Um, you know, I, I don't care what scheme you're in. If you're a Division One, you know, or FBS, whatever you want to call it, offensive line, um, you should be able to push those guys around in the running game, I feel. So that, that to me, you know, this this was a game, and, and I, I thought maybe – and I'm not one of these guys, you know, we got some fans there on our boards and, and, you know, we're all welcome to all opinions, but they're all about the eye formation and they're, you know, they're like, get the eye and run the football. I'm, I'm not one of those guys, but there came a point in this game where I was like, you know, South Carolina's shotgun running game. Um, I don't know if it's the angles. I don't know if the Citadel guys were just quicker than the Carolina offensive line and they're going around them. I don't know exactly why, but South Carolina was not able to get downhill from the shotgun. Um, I know the I formation isn't something South Carolina does, but I, I was sitting there saying maybe maybe this is a game like uh, UCF a couple of years ago when South Carolina was struggling and they just said, you know what, we're gonna get the I run the football. Um, you know, I, I was wondering if maybe that was not an option, but but either way, just the back to my original point, the inability to run the football against a team like the Citadel um, to me is because all the other stuff, you know, you, you expect there to be some issues. Especially, it's not like this defense has played that great this year. You expected there to be some issues defending uh, the triple option, but you would also have thought South Carolina's offense at the end of the day could say, we're just going to wear them down and punish them into the fourth quarter and, and basically put them away, and they were not able to do that at all. Yeah, that that was the most alarming thing. And, you know, the offensive line I don't think has played – or I know they have not played up to what I expected coming into this year. Now, I think some people have unrealistic expectations for an offensive line. They think that, you know, South Carolina's offensive line should just go up there and be, you know, I guess Alabama or, or whatever it may be. And I don't that's, – that's okay to, to want to get there one day, but I don't think it was fair to expect that going into this year. Uh, but I've expected it to be better, and – Look, they they had to play. They played a couple younger guys on the line and and things like that. But it just it was really just mind boggling. It, it really was. I mean, 
Um, and even beyond just getting pushed around, some of the decisions that were made in the game. I mean, Sean Carson had a couple nice runs, but I think he got two carries. You know, uh, David Williams, you know, was out there on the on the fourth and one when you need Brandon Wilds, who's your best tackle breaker and your most physical runner. He's not out there. Um, Sky Moore, you know, yeah, he missed some practice time, and I guess the coaching staff thought that he wasn't as prepared, but I, I didn't really see many guys on the field that looked very prepared uh, to go up against the option. Uh, Moore was out there very little, and mm-hmm. when he when he was out there, he, he produced. He, he made some tackles. Uh, at least he ran to the football and, and tried to make some tackles. So that was another odd decision. Then, you know, you, you just – Sometimes they got outflanked. Uh, sometimes even when they had, you know, four guys on the edge to Citadels too, they they just found a way to miss the tackle. Um, I did, you know, you misplay a a ball in the air, let a guy go up over you and catch it. Uh, I mean, we could just go on and on. I mean, it, it was just a combination of very poor play and execution and just some really odd decisions. Yeah, and I, I thought, um, and not that I want to go into this for ten minutes, uh, but the I thought it was pretty interesting the difference in um, the Sky Moore situation and the Lorenzo Nunez situation. You basically have one guy who's being told, "Hey, you're, you're not, you know, you're probably not prepared because you didn't you didn't practice a few days this week." Um, when so I think you know what I, I know I'll quote all you know all players should be treated the same, um, but Let's be honest. This is Sky Moore. Um, you know, I think Sky. I think Sky Moore could probably go out there with no coaching at all and make eight tackles a game because yes. his in, his instincts are what set him apart. He's got great eyes. He's got great instincts. He finds the football. Um, you know, and and then my point being, you go to the other side, Lorenzo Nunez, who yes was on the practice field, but he did not throw this week. Um, that was the thing. He could not throw the football this week. And you have this issue of, you know, Nunez doesn't think he's playing. Elliot somehow thought he was playing. Um, so you had, you basically had one guy who didn't, who didn't practice and wanted to play and probably could have played yet is watching on the sideline. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you have a guy who wasn't expecting to play. who didn't feel like he was going to play physically. And, uh, then you have this big off the field issue now of, coaches saying one thing and the players saying a different thing um that is just uh and a lot of times these type things uh, these things come out when you're losing um when you're when you're winning sometimes stuff kind of gets glossed over a little bit more but uh, i mean even even ohio state had not lost a game in uh in 23 games (laughs) and then you have you know you have they lose a game and all of a sudden um (laughs) <laughs> you have a running back calling out the coaching staff. Uh, so, you know, so it, things tend to snowball, I think, when you're really losing games and all the negative stuff comes out. But it's just – it was kind of silly to me thinking about the opposite of those two situa- – how kind of opposite those two situations were with Sky Moore on one side of the ball, Lorenzo Nunez on the other. And, you know, I think Lorenzo – I think uh, Sean Elliott had um, – you know, not done himself some favors as far as actually uh, getting the Carolina job, but I think it really shown well for himself um, as far as South Carolina hanging around with an A&M, battling against a Tennessee, um, even, you know, coming back a little bit there in the fourth quarter against Florida. Um, but now I, I think 
this loss kind of just erases uh, a lot of that, unfortunately, for Sean Elliott. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, people were, were still frustrated because the wins hadn't come. I mean, that was a lot of the discussion on our message boards, things like that, centered around that premise of, you know, who cares about moral victories. And uh, we, anytime, Wes, that we would say, hey, they improved in this area or that area, people would accuse us of saying, you know, it was we were talking about moral victories, and we really weren't. I mean, our jobs are, are our jobs just to point out, hey, this area is good, this area is bad, here's what has improved, here's what's regressed. And there were some areas that, even for the most hardcore pessimists, you could look at the A&M and Tennessee games and say uh, some areas improved. For the most hardcore uh, optimists, there were areas you could look at in those games and say, man, there's still things that are really concerning and really bad here. Um, and really, any any positivity was wiped out. I mean, you, you cannot look at that Citadel game and really take much away from it in a positive manner. You know, except, okay, Perry Orr threw the ball pretty well. Cooper and Adams had big days. They got a couple defensive stops, but really, who cares? I mean, it, it really it really hit rock bottom. And that was the thing I was getting to earlier that I sort of got off track on that SEC Network alternate channel telecast. They were playing that rock bottom song during it, and I don't, I don't know if they picked that on purpose, but... It, it was it was sort of an omen for that game. I mean, it was just, oh man. I mean, it's, it's wow. About as, it's about as bad as it gets. Um, wow. Really, I mean, you know, this isn't a situation where it's you know somehow it's a you know it's a good it's a good team and somehow they just have the worst day ever and lose to an FCS team. It's just this team has been has been poor all season and not been able to finish games and and then that happened. So it's. It's tough. It's tough, no doubt about it. But uh, and a lot of people have asked if it's something that the team can recover from. Is it gonna? Is it gonna? Or if the program can recover from it, is it gonna affect the coaching search? I, I think it it does illustrate for people looking on the outside looking in. It illustrates that there are real issues, and it illustrates that South Carolina needs more talent. But but the way I see it, they've they've got enough talent right now. Even if their talent's in the bottom part of the SEC. They got enough talent to beat Citadel. I mean, they do. You couldn't convince me otherwise. Yeah, and along the same lines of that that song playing. Uh, actually, about about the fourth quarter of this game. I don't know if you can see it on TV, uh, but a uh, a very very dark storm cloud just rolled in right over the top of Williams Bryce Stadium, and I was like, if that if that if that is the most fitting thing ever, is this dark cloud. Um, hanging directly over the stadium right now. Um, so mo- moving forward, I, I know those listening probably are tired of hear- hearing about the game. They want to put it behind them. Um, but they, pro- they probably don't necessarily want to hear about the next opponent either. But, uh, you know, I-, I think we have to talk about it. And, uh, of course, South Carolina Clemson, the annual renewing of the rivalry. And uh, I was actually – surprised, um, borderline shocked that the opening line this week for this game was just Clemson by 15 and a half. Um, I was expecting, honestly, uh, three, and I, I'm not a big, I'm not a gambler. I don't, and, you know, I kind of follow that stuff um, as far as lines go a little bit, but not super close. But I, I personally was expecting at least a three touchdown Um underdog line for South Carolina, but uh, opens at 15 and a half. Uh, Chris, was that a surprise to you? 
And hasn't it gone up to 17 now? I believe. I believe, yeah. I believe yeah. it has moved uh, up. But yeah, yeah. The but that, opening that's, line <clears throat> Yeah, that's the moving around is generally based on you know what side, how big the bets are coming in, which would make sense, I think, with that line yeah. for bets to go in on Clemson and, and it to move. But I, I was surprised that it opened that low. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, South Carolina was a what a twenty and a half favorite point favorite over the Citadel, and I thought that was extremely high, to be honest. Um, yes. You know, even though I, th- I think I picked, I say extremely high. I think I picked South Carolina to win by fifteen. So I guess really it wasn't extremely high, but I thought it was. It's pretty high. I thought. Um, but yeah, I, that is a surprising line. The the, the one thing I, I guess what you could take away from it is. Um, South Carolina in in the losses, <laughs> even to the Citadel. But I think looking at teams like Tennessee and A and M on the road, maybe Vegas looks at it and says, "Okay, A and M and Tennessee can put up points for sure, um, and they've got athletes. They're SEC teams. Um, they've got talent. And South Carolina went on the road and dropped close games to those guys, seven points or." And and so maybe they look at that, and then maybe they look at Clemson, who no doubt is. They're a better football team than Tennessee or Texas A&M. But maybe they look at their schedule and say, okay, Clemson has won every game, but, you know, they they struggled against Syracuse. They beat Wake Forest by 20, but it wasn't a just an absolute shellacking. I mean, yeah, they got to pull their starters and everything. But, you know, they've, they've had uh, some games that have been close. They've had some struggles. Yeah. None of the teams that they – I mean, their signature win was against Notre Dame, who's certainly a very good team, but – was a Notre Dame team that also wasn't full strength, and it was in a monsoon, and they won by two. So uh, what I'm saying, I'm not detracting from Clemson's season or their team whatsoever. I mean, I think I would have the line much higher, but I'm I'm just trying to take the perspective of maybe maybe that's what Vegas sees. And if somehow South Carolina could, you know, play out of their minds and actually put together a good game, then they're capable, you know, I think of hanging with Clemson for a little while. Now, if they play anywhere close to how they played against the Citadel on Saturday in the game against Clemson, it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be ugly early. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I would have that line, you know, shoot, for me, it'd probably be a, I don't know, probably a three-touchdown line, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I uh... – you know, I think, first of all, if you look at this game and kind of in the parameter of what, what would South Carolina have to do to win this game, um, you know, I think, first of all, very clearly, not this is not a team South Carolina is going to be able to kind of get down against like they like they did against the Citadel. They were down 14-3, uh, down 17 nothing to Tennessee early on. Um, you know, this is not a team – uh, that I think South Carolina can get down a couple scores and then come back and beat. The, the only way to beat this team, you know, you look at Clemson, they really have not trolled very much at all this season. Uh, they've not been um, necessarily in those situations where a team uh, kind of punches them in the mouth. I, I think, first of all, you know, Sean Elliott has got to find a way to rally the troops after what's happened uh, this season. Kind of every, everything that's happened to this team he's got to find a way to rally them for one, you know, for one final football game um, and have a good week of practice. And, you know, I think Carolina's got to come out and um, start the game fast and and have something good happen because then, you know, it is one of those situations where if Clemson, if South Carolina gets it into a tight football game, you'd think maybe, maybe Clemson tightens up a little bit just because everything that's riding on 
on it. You know, if Clemson scores a couple early on and is played loose, uh, you know, I, I think this is a game they probably win pretty easily. But, mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if South Carolina could have something good happen early on, um, then maybe Clemson plays a little bit tighter. And, and then, of course, uh, I think Clemson's going to have to turn the ball over a few times for, uh, for this to go South Carolina's way. Yeah, agree. I I do think I I think if they come out and and say Clemson does what Tennessee did and scores on the first couple drives, it's going to be a really long day. <laughs> I mean, a really long one. Um, so yeah, they got to make something happen earlier. And you spoke to Sean Elliott rallying the troops. That to me is the biggest question in this game. Uh, I don't think there's any question that you know talent wise and things like that, that Clemson has the edge in, in almost every area, if not every area, you know. Um, so the question for me becomes effort. And I think the biggest concern for South Carolina, if if, they're, if fans are watching this game, is, you know, the effort level. And if South Carolina is going to be able to give maximum effort for this game, um, because there is so much frustration in the locker room right now, you know, I, to me, it's a legitimate question. And, you know, guys may come out early and be ready to play. And if Clemson punches them in the mouth early, like you said, and that would be the nightmare scenario because then you're down in a hurry against a good football team. It's going to be very tough to overcome that from a mental standpoint, as well as a physical one with the challenge of playing that team. No doubt, no doubt. We'll, we'll have uh, all week to break down this game. Uh, finally, I, I know there's a. Uh, I guess we we almost have to mention the coaching search to an extent. Um, lots of rumors, innuendo out there. Um, Chris, I, I guess uh, what 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 have you what have you heard lately that you would like to uh, tell those listening um, here on our GamecockCentral.com radio podcast? Any anything at all new on your end? Well, I, not really anything new information-wise. I think this is a very pivotal week because we're getting really close to the time frame where South Carolina wants to hire a coach. Now, we've said before that ideally, you know, they want to have somebody early December, first of all. If they could have got, could get somebody as early as the week after the Clemson game, that they would love that because that, there's a month-long dead period that starts in mid-December and runs to mid-January where you can't have any on- or off-campus visits. Obviously, recruiting uh, from now until signing day is going to be huge for the new staff. So that's something you have to bear in mind, and, and Ray Tanner and the administration, they, they are bearing in mind. That's a big part of it. That said, you know, some of the candidates – for example, Tom Herman, Kirby Smart, you know, those guys have opportunities to, to play in conference title games. And so if they get there, that sort of pushes the timetable back. So, you know, that'll be important because at, at some point South Carolina is going to have to know, okay, here's where we stand. Um, if, if they get the feel that, you know, Tom Herman is not going to be attainable, for example, then they're going to have to move on to, to somebody else. Um, it, it just depends on so many factors, and I think this week is going to indeed be a key week for that. Um, so I think we'll we'll know a lot more after this after this weekend, uh, maybe by Monday. But right now, just sort of status quo. I think you still look at Herman and Smart being viewed as the top couple guys, and then beyond that, it becomes a really really big question mark. Yeah, absolutely. It will be a very interesting week to follow all that in Gamecock Nation, and of course. Uh, Thanksgiving on Thursday, which means you've got a lot of uh, 
kind of a little different schedule um, on the college football landscape this week. You got some games on Thursday, then you got a bunch of games on Friday when a lot of people will be at home, and um, you actually have Tom Herman's Houston team taking on Navy, which uh, if, if Houston wins, uh, they will actually be uh, in the American Conference Championship. If they lose, they will not. So that's something that Chris clearly could have an impact on uh, South Carolina's the timeline of South Carolina's coaching search if uh, Herman ends up being the guy. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, if he, it would figure that he would, I guess, want to want to coach in that game if they get there. Uh-huh. Um, and I think even beyond that, Wes, I mean, you, it's still not known what Tom Herman wants to do. I mean, Houston has on the table for him to get a big raise. Um, he has not said, I'm taking that yet, beyond publicly commenting about how he's flattered about it and things of that nature. But they've stepped up to the plate with a substantial raise. Now, Will he? I think the, the scenario in which he stays is if he thinks that something bigger and better is going to come open in the next year or two, say Texas, something like that. You know, I, it's hard to see him standing pat just for the sake of I want to stay at Houston. I think he does have his eyes on a bigger job at some point, as you would expect. And right now, it, I, honestly, it looks like the two best options are South Carolina and Missouri. And I think the for Missouri, it's just mainly because Mac Rhodes hired him at Houston and is now the athletic director at Missouri. And I think that that does help some. Uh, most people would pick South Carolina as the better option. But I think it's it's very much still unknown as to whether or not he is going to make that jump after one year. So beyond even just the timing, I think they have to find out and it has to be ascertained what exactly he wants to do um, because there, of course, is interest in him potentially leaving Houston on the part of Tom Herman. But we, we just don't know yet what his final move is going to be. And that'll probably become more clear uh, in the next several days. No doubt we will have uh, complete coverage of the uh, coaching search there on GamecockCentral.com. For Chris Clark, I'm Wes Mitchell. This has, of course, been another edition of Gamecock Central Radio, and we will talk to you all soon. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, It's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. 
Facebook.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.